Today's episode of Operation Tango Romeo is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, the Vancouver Island Works Project. Vancouver Island Works Project. They are providing us at Operation Tango Romeo with a premium website. They're building it for us, populating it. They're looking after everything that I don't know how to do. If you are looking for a website for yourself, please check out the Vancouver Island Works Project, viwproject.com. That's Victor India Whiskey Project.com. Now, they do a lot more than just websites. They do a whole bunch. Please check out their services on the service tab on their website at viwproject.com. Accounting, bookkeeping, uh, Microsoft and Adobe training, social media management, you name it. Now, the website is that they're building for us is just under construction right now. It'll be up and running probably in a few weeks. There'll be a big announcement about that. But VancouverIslandWorksProject.com is supporting Tango Romeo. Thank you for that. Thank you, Manny Mandrusiak, who I served with. And please check them out, man. Check them out. Get a premium website for yourself. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible, with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to the Funky Brain Podcast. My name is Dennis, and this is my funky brain. Sometimes I think differently, but I'm feeling much better now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, our guest today, he's joining us from Canada, and he's an infantry veteran with a UN peacekeeping tour of Croatia during the genocide. And after suffering undiagnosed for 20 years, he finally reached out for help. And soon after, he became involved in peer support and became a peer support facilitator, wanting to share the healing power of peer support with a greater audience. And he, contrib- he created um, Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast. And his podcast is helpful for anyone who's suffering from PTSD, but is tailored specifically to veterans, first responders, and their families. Mr. Mark Meinke, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me. I super appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Really excited. So we, we've, I've, my show is based on um, mostly on addiction recovery, and I've never done a show focused on PTSD, but I know that they go hand in hand in a lot of ways, and so this fits really nicely. And I'm excited to um, have this talk with you. So, how is 2020 treating you so far? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's <laughs> uh, it, it's it, definitely an extra challenge. It's a few extra bricks in the rucksack uh, in military parlance. You know, it's a little bit of an extra load and uh, really notice how people are getting just a little extra chippy and a little more short-tempered and both in myself and at the grocery store. It's been really interesting from a social experiment kind of point of view. That's for sure. It has. Yeah, it's been challenging. But, you know, I think like, and I've had, I'm, as I'm sure you have this talk on our shows before where, you know, it's perspective, right? So mm. I... And I remember right when 
before the quarantine started, remember Italy hit, got hit first. And I remember listening to this guy going, you know what, you guys, we're about to go into quarantine. We're about to, they were like three weeks ahead of us, I think. And they were like, you know, take this time to learn something new, to read a book you always wanted to, to learn how to dance, to do that thing you've always wanted to do. And we need to have that perspective, you know, is it, is it the biggest tragedy or is it, you know, a good you know, stepping stone to something new, new opportunities in life. And that's how I've, I've been using it. It's actually worked out okay for me, but I know some people aren't having the same experience as myself. I really noticed that social media, the Facebook that- world has got, a, oh, getting some feedback there. The um, Facebook world has gotten a lot more gross and, and nasty. So I've been putting extra effort into trimming that down, unfollowing, unfriending, and blocking where appropriate. Um, the extra stress from that, it, it just, it's just no good. So getting rid of that social media, uh, this has been sort of a good um, excuse to do that because it's more important now than ever to really be on a information diet and make sure you just got going good stuff going in because garbage in, garbage out. So I really got to control that, that bit of our environment. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think too many people are spending too much time worrying about shit that doesn't matter and focusing on that and carrying that into their days. And then those are the ones that go into the supermarket angry or drive around giving people the finger thinking that, you know, the world's against them. It's because you're, you're, you're feeding that into your brain, that garbage into your brain. I love how you said that. And we're all a product of our environment. Um, So if part of your environment, if is the hater, the haters on social media, well, that's going to affect you. There's, there's no way around it. So one of the tools that I've been implementing is to instead of focusing on on the social media to focus on something that's healthy and good for me so uh, downloaded the duolingo app on the phone and i'm starting to learn how to speak french bit by bit and my wife who actually speaks french make gets to make fun of me for mispronouncing absolutely everything but it's a positive (laughs) distraction as opposed to a negative distraction and that's really important whether you're learning another language which is easy and free to do or um, you're cracking a book or an audiobook or a podcast like yours or like mine, uh, just putting your attention in something that's going to feed you, not drain you. Exactly. I always say that too. It's like surround yourself with people. When you, when you meet with somebody or whatever it is that you're doing, you want to leave with more energy than what you came with, right? So if you're, if you're meeting with people or watching people on social media or whatever it is that you're doing and you leave with less energy, I would challenge you to like spend less time with that person if not eliminate them altogether and find things that feed you, that fill you up because that's the way your life's going to go. So I love that. That's really awesome stuff. So, um, you know, like, like a lot of people, like I have friends and uh, I know lots of people that are suffering from PTSD and I don't have a strong background in it. So I don't know, um, to the level that you do, but yours comes from the form of battle and the form of, uh, military, but it can come from different types of trauma. But I love how you say on your podcast, and I love the, the work that you do, but this is all about connection, peer support, and recovery. And I love how you say that because that's in my world too. It's the same thing. It's about connections, having peer support, and that's where that, that solid recovery comes in. So can you please share with our listeners a little bit about your story and how it led to uh, who you are and what you do today? 
Absolutely. Well, first, there is a undeniable connection between trauma and addiction. Um, the guest I just had, Dr. Rob Kelly, the double doctor, he's got two PhDs. Um, but in the 30 some odd years. I heard year, him on my show. Uh, that's how I heard about you. A couple months ago, he was on my show too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's amazing. And um, from all of his experience, anybody who has an addiction, there's an underlying trauma that's trying to be dealt with and you just can't separate the two so your podcast uh, on, on addiction and mine on um, uh, PTSD they're, they're they're hand in hand everybody trauma is the thing that binds us all I don't know if you've ever had Theo Fleury on the podcast but uh, I've had him a couple of times yet. he's spectacular I can Next connect month I'm supposed to have him on oh he's booked that's good Good, because I would uh, I'd introduce uh, you. Well, if I be. think that there was like he's taken he's taken like a uh, a month or two off, and then I think he's coming on like the following next month at the end of next month. Well, buckle up. He's one hell of a good guest, and um, I, I have personally listened to the episode. Well, he's done two with me. Uh, the first one we're talking more about hockey and that, but uh, the, the second one, which I published on Tango Romeo. Um, I've listened to it a dozen times and I'll listen to it a dozen times more because there's so much there. But one of the things he says is that trauma is one of the things that bind us. Like we, we've all got a story. We've all got a story and there's no benefit in playing the trauma Olympics that mine's worse than yours because of this, that, and the other. And it, hap- and it goes in both directions. People minimize their own trauma all the time. They say to me, well, Mark, you were in a war. So, you know, that's, that's way more than what I went through. I'm like, no, no. The modality of trauma doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was a sexual trauma, if it was an emotional trauma, um, if it happened in a war, if it happened as, as a police officer or as a regular Joe where you were the victim of a crime um, or even being abandoned by your parents. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, did it injure you? And if you're injured as a result of it, well, then you're going to be suffering through the symptoms of that. And it's that those symptoms that cause the suffering and they're the same for everybody or similar doesn't matter. Uh, Theo Fleury was raped 150 times by his coach. Now that's going to mess a guy up. It's going to have you questioning your sexuality and your worth and, and everything else. And, um, but the symptoms that he had, which of course led to addiction, are no different than the symptoms that I was exhibiting. The inability to control emotions to um, be easily overwhelmed by, especially by administrative tax, tasks, um, b- being short-tempered, um, risky behavior, uh, low impulse control, all these things. Uh, that doesn't matter what the modality was. The symptoms are the same. So we're going to have similar effects on our lives. And to the extreme of suicide and or homelessness, that's what trauma does to you. There's a veterans food, actually two veterans food banks in the Calgary area here. And well, why a veterans food bank? Well, a sense of community for one, it's hard to ask for help in general, but veterans in particular really have trouble asking for help. So having a place that's 
specifically for them has it uh, just a little bit easier for them to show up. And then when they show up, it's a familiar sense of community. But the reason that, because there's more trauma in that community, usually. And trauma makes you unemployable quite often, uh, not able to hold a steady job because of your issues with authority or your temper or your ability to merge with other people. It's a bugger. And the depression and the disconnection that happens as a result of it. Um, But your question was about myself and, and how I got to Tango Romeo. So way back in the 90s, I was in the Croatian War and it was the tip of the iceberg. My trauma cup from my childhood was already three quarters full. Uh, from sexual trauma, uh, neglect, all kinds of um, violence. So the trauma cup was already there. And like a lot of people uh, with very full trauma cups, I ended up in the military. Some go into policing, uh, trying to gain that sense of power or a sense of purpose that... um, even a sense of self-esteem, really, a sense like what I'm doing matters, therefore I must matter. So off I went, uh, went into the infantry. I wanted to be a medic, actually, but uh, they played little games at the recruiting agent, at the at uh, the recruiter games, and I didn't end up being a medic. I ended up being an infantry soldier, which is the exact opposite of being a medic. So now I'm in a, uh, instead of patching people up, I'm, I'm shooting at them, like, ah, oh, great. Uh, from a trained healer to a trained killer instead. So that in itself was difficult for me. Took a bit to make that transition. but um, And even making that transition was enough to cause me injury. Um, I was a mess, <laughs> really. And then that tour absolutely tipped it over. Uh, I, the Not just what I saw, but what I experienced the uh, betrayals from the from the military realizations of the devil is real because I got to see the handiwork of Satan himself, and not from a religious perspective, just from a look at this. <laughs> There's uh, the devil does live in the hearts of some people, and they do things that are beyond description, beyond imagination, um, completely inhuman. There's nothing human about. Uh, what can happen in a war zone and in the Balkans, the inhumanity, the, the horror of some of the things that were done to each other. It it was too much for me. It tipped me over. And, um, my life from there on in was nothing but a shit show. It was a, it was a mess. I couldn't hold a job, couldn't maintain a stable relationship. And, um, of any sort. I, I was just in a flap and, uh, the employability, everything else is just, but anyway, powering through, it was over 20 years before I was in my second marriage. And, uh, before I realized, oh my God, I have a problem. I don't know if it was the military, but I have a problem. The, the, the magic moment was my sweet young boy, my, my the youngest of my two boys, and uh, he's just such a soft, gentle soul. And he was walking to the dishwasher with his plate and there's crumbs on the plate. And as he gets to the dishwasher, just being distracted, the plate tips over on its side and the crumbs are on the floor and I absolutely blow my stack. 
I'm down on my knees on his level, eye to eye with him. Dawson, what the hell? And just given him a blast. And then my wife put her hand on my shoulder and calmly said, Mark, they're just crumbs. We can sweep those up. And as she was saying that, I, I, I was able to notice my, my boy's face just melt as I was breaking my son. And um, then I knew that I need to fix this. This is, I'm doing damage. But I couldn't talk, stop myself. You get this voice in your head screaming at you to stop, and you can't. You know you should, but you can't. And it, it takes a hell of a lot of work to get there. And that's why a lot of people go to addiction. And a lot of people go to suicide. When uh, you get to the point where you think, I'm doing more than more harm than good on this planet, that's the dangerous spot. And I've been there more than once. Um and that's why, as I started going through the recovery process and I reached out for help, I got pulled into peer support. And I'm thinking, peer support, whatever. We sing hands, sing kumbaya. But that, that's, it created a sense of connection, a sense of, okay, um, my stories are not horribly unlike this, their stories. And because I share my story, they share their story. And then we realize, oh my God, there's a lot of us in this same boat, doing these same things, having these same issues. We manifest a bit differently for different people, but all in all, I am not alone. And that sense of connection really helps. And then when you see other people healing around you, and you remember how they were when you met them, and then a couple of years up the road, they're different. They're happier. They're more calm. They're, you don't have that mad face on all the time. You know you're making progress, and that is helpful. And we had a few people in the group. After I ended up being one of the facilitators for the peer support, and people would say, wow, that was a, a, a great session. We learned a lot. Because we do lots of psych ed. We talk about um, uh, practical tools. We talk about... Uh, the five love languages and the four agreements, stuff like that. And well, how do we preserve these lessons? So I already had a podcast, already had the Mikey Show podcast. Uh, I, I developed just over a year ago now, Operation Tango Romeo. And now I just did the 49th episode uh, just before we got on the air here and got to listen to a voice message that I just got of the spouse of a firefighter thanking me for doing what I do and that it helps. And, uh, and that's why I'm doing it. It's, uh, it helps create that sense of connection so that people know that they are not alone. They're not. And also to pave a path of recovery for them. Like, yeah, healing happens. It does. It's a tough ass road. It's a fugly road, but it happens. And and here's some different ways to do it. Here's conventional therapy. Here's some other therapies like Dr. Rob Kelly that uh, you've had on the show. Uh, he's got a couple of different methods that um, uh, he believes he's, pro he's proven to be quicker, faster, more effective than conventional therapy. Could be, you know, uh, give it a go. What do you got to lose? Yeah, I think it's about finding something that works for you because we are all individual and we've all suffered our own 
unique trauma. I love how you made that point. You know, sometimes it's something like battle or and sometimes it's something sexual. And to somebody who is more sensitive, it could be something really minor that we see from the outside that might not even be trauma to us, but to them, it was like earth shattering stuff. So everybody's on a different path. But I, I love a, a bunch of things that uh, you talked about. And one of them is the, you know, when you talk about the peer support and stuff like that. And, you know, I used to do a lot of 12 step stuff. I don't as much anymore, but um, the, in my opinion, the best part about all that is the fellowship. And what you were talking about is having sitting around in a circle and you can tell your story. Like if you go to, if you walk into Starbucks and sit down at a table and start telling somebody your story and like, you know, every now and then I think about suicide or homicide or about, you know, this or that, or the wife sucks or whatever, you know, they're going to call the cops. <laughs> but if you walk into a support group or a fellowship where you're, where there's people like-minded people who are there on a similar path and you can start telling your story. And then people nod their heads because they understand. And I think it's important to be in an environment like that, especially in the beginning. You know, what you were saying is a sad story. It took 20 years to get to this point where you were able to see things that, okay, maybe I have a problem. Maybe it's time to make some changes. And then the saddest part is like, once you reach that point, like what changes do I need to make? Like there's like, and now there's a, the internet and a lot of resources out there, but there didn't used to always be. And a lot of people suffered and did kill themselves. So I love how you brought up that part. And so do you still spend a lot of time outside besides doing your podcasts and stuff like that? But do you spend a lot of time in the community and in fellowship groups? I do, um, but less and less. I am paring down because of self-care. A person's got to look after themselves. And um, because of Tango Romeo, I've kind of turned into that go-to guy for a lot of folks. So I get a lot of downloads, some pretty heavy ones. And I have to meter that. You know, I, I can't carry all of that. So to look after myself, I, uh, I just put the focus into the podcast because that's safe for me. We don't share the war stories on Tango Romeo. Uh, war porn, as we call it, because there's no need to do that to re-traumatize. We don't have to go into the details. What matters is, are you injured? What are the symptoms? What are you doing about it? We don't have to get into the weeds with all the uh, of what that trauma actually was. I don't need the details, and um, and we're, we're very careful about that at um, in peer support groups as well. It's one of our absolute rules: is no war porn. Because why get everybody elevated and, and, and set off? You can share by sharing the symptoms, how it's affecting your life, how you're doing, how you're dealing with it, the ups, the downs, which are difficult, you know, because some days like, hey, I'm having a good day. I, I made it. I'm there. I'm good. Oh, shit. Now I want to eat a bullet. God damn it. <laughs> you know, and um, that's one of the things with, being injured by trauma is there really isn't a, a fantastic endpoint. You're always going to be having to deal with it. And, um, but it gets way, way more manageable. Your life does get better, considerably better. Relationships get better. It all gets better with work. 
but it is work. Uh, recovery is an activity, not an event. You actually got to earn it. You've, you, you've got to walk it. You know, you can't just go to a therapy session and say, fix me. You've got to fix you. It's a, you have to take the personal That's responsibility right. or it ain't going to happen, Jack. It ain't going to happen at all. That's right. Yeah. It requires work. And you know, I often I say is it's a hundred miles into the woods. It's a hundred miles back out. But that the good news about that is like that the hundred miles back out, it doesn't have to take as long or be as painful, but it is work. You know, it requires work. Like your, your subconscious mind was programmed, you know, during that time, whatever that trauma was. And it, it happened over a period of time and it's going to take longer than a week to unprogram that, that thinking, those behaviors, those beliefs. One thing I just love that you said, well, first of all, that the activity, not an event, love that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that. But, um, I get a quarter every time. About, uh, <laughs> what, I'll definitely, but, um, but a question I had for you was, did you, did you pick up on any addictions along the way? You know, you were suffering from this trauma. Sexual addiction. They do go hand in hand. Yeah, no, I was horrifically, um, horribly promiscuous when I was young. Um, well, for, for a long time. And it, it's only recently that I was able to figure out why. It's um, one of my core triggers is, is rejection. So through being extraordinarily promiscuous, um, it would make me feel like I'm accepted. Because acceptance is the opposite of rejection. So it was my, my horrible fear of rejection is why I would, uh, it's like, hey, I'm pretty good at uh, picking up girls in the bar or being picked up by one. So I did that a lot because it gave me that shot that I needed. Um, for some people, it's a drink. But for me, it, it was it was sexual and I needed it. I needed as many partners <laughs> as possible, as often as possible. And, um, which is a horrible lifestyle, by the way. Uh, when you, when you see people like Dan Bazilarian, uh, with, with his, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars and, and, and girls all over the place, that's not healthy. It's, it's not healthy. It's not something to strive toward. You don't want to be Hugh Hefner in the Playboy Mansion. It's not a good life. It isn't. Um, no. Bunch of fun, but it's not a good life. It's not healthy. And it's actually, it creates a spiral effect on the self-esteem. And you, it's, it's not, I don't recommend it for anybody. Um, it's not good. Yeah, I live that. I live that life. And I did that in my 20s too, during my addictions, during my, my whiskey, cocaine, girls. It, it was just a, it, you know, you said it's fun. Sometimes. Sometimes. It, was, it wasn't really. But I hurt like people. Were, you know, I would say it wasn't fun way more than yeah. it was fun. But yeah. it's, what it was was a distraction from feeling. You know, I didn't have to feel this pain, the fears, the insecurities, all the reasons that I drank or did drugs in the first place or the sex or whatever it is, those are all distractions from my real problem, which is something going on up in here. Like in your case, the PTSD, the trauma, in my case, it was fear insecurities from when I was five years old, you know, mm -hmm. and up. I never learned how to cope with those things. And for so me, it was, it was all of the above really. Yes. 
Yeah, all of that stuff. So, but you know what? I I had a brain fart there a couple of minutes ago, but one thing you said, which is so important, so important when I asked you um, about, uh, are you still doing the community stuff? But you said, I'm practicing self-care. And that is such a huge, huge thing that I try to drive home with my clients because I do a lot of coaching through the, for people suffering from these things. Self-care, self-respect, uh, self-love. You know, there's a big difference. And I was just talking to a client this morning about this. And he was concerned about, you know, being selfish. And I described, like, there's a huge difference between being selfish and taking care of yourself. And because if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not of use to other people. And, you know, it's like the, air, the oxygen in the airplane coming down. I need to, like... If I die, I'm not going to be of any use to anybody. So I need to take care of myself first. And, and it sounds like you're doing, uh, you're down that similar path. Have to be. And it's extremely, extremely difficult for me. I, um, looking after myself first, it, it does, it feels horribly selfish and it's just not how I'm wired. It's a, everybody comes before me, but that doesn't work so good. You burn out. And if I'm burnt out, I can't help anybody. If I'm just on, uh, just grasp, gasping for air, I can't help anybody. Stop, dro- stop uh, drowning. So I'm trying to turn off my uh, computer here. It keeps coming up with, um, well, I know how I can do it. I can turn off my phone. Because I'm getting texted and then it's coming through on the phone. There, done. Should have thought of that. No problem. Apologize. But, no problem. Um, if you the don't, the it's so hard. It's so hard. But uh, I, I've come to the realization that I, I don't have a choice. If I'm going to look after others, I have to look after me. And especially when you're in a, in a role of helping others, that is a high, high burnout position. The peer supporter role um, that, that I do and people across the country do, it, people put on a cape and they go into hero mode and they take on two much because it's tough you know we're talking about people that are on the edge of suicide but sometimes even then it's like well if it's if you know it's going to be me if i don't if i don't meter this and i you got to keep gas in your tank you have to and if the person on the other end can't understand that that's not on you sometimes you have to say i'm sorry i can't but here's some resources that can please call them right now. Is it okay if I have somebody call you? I'll connect you with these resources, but I, I can't carry this load right now. I wish I could. I can't. Wow. And y- you have yeah, to. And that is powerful. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to draw that line and define what that line is. Like how much can you take? How much can, how much is too much before you, you start suffering? Because we all, I do the same thing. Like I do the podcast and I have clients and and I'm talking to people on the outside too. And people reach out to me all the time for help. And I want to always be there. Like it's my purpose. I almost died hundreds and hundreds of times, but I'm here. So my purpose is to help people, but some, but I need to make sure I'm helping myself at the same time. So you're, um, you're also an author. You wrote your book, Why Not Me? Mm-hmm. The Keys to Unlock Your Power and Release Your Potential. You want to tell us a little bit about that? It's an interesting book. I, um, 
my first why of, of writing the book was for my kids. Um, my firstborn uh, was with us and the second one was on the way. And I had this horrible worst case scenario feeling of, God, what if I get hit by a bus and I don't have a chance to raise my kids? Because that was a time of awakening for me where I was start, starting to find some confidence and some self-esteem and I was reading <laughs> tons of personal development books. And I just realized, oh my gosh, I, I want to teach my kids this. I want them to know what I know, what I've learned and to not do it the hard way. So I did, wasn't sure how to do that, but at three in the morning, one morning, I just went, oh, I got it. And I had the first parable in my head. I ran downstairs with a stack of paper and a pencil, and I just started uh, to scribble out the first, the, 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 the beginning of it, the first parable. And it just kind of grew from there. Two years later, I published it. Two months after that, I guess it didn't suck too bad because I won an international literary award for my contributions on human potential. It's like, oh, okay, that's uh, not so bad. guess it doesn't suck. And what I f- figured out all these years later is that although for sure a part of me was writing it for my kids, what I realized is immersing myself in that kind of energy, reading all the books that I had to read so that I could write mine, all the introspective work that I had to do to to write this and all the mindfulness required to be focused on a positive project, that's how I survived. And sure as shit, as soon as it was published and I wasn't reading the books anymore, I started to slide. Hard. I lost everything. I lost my marriage, the house, we were foreclosed on, bankrupt, the whole nine yards, um, if it wasn't for my kids being little, you know, suicide would have been a um, much more palatable option at that moment in my life. If my kids were already 18, I don't think I would have made it, you know, because I would just have no, no, no why to still be here. But um, so to me, that book, Why Not Me? The Keys to Unlock Your Power and Release Your Potential available on amazon.com. Um, it's, it, it's also my trauma survival guide. The mindsets that are in there, the way of looking at the world and looking at yourself and looking at others. Um, and it's broken into bite-sized pieces as well. But that book is, is, is what kept me alive. And even when I wasn't immersed all the time in that kind of energy... I still did that work. So it was enough to get me through and it was a squeaker, but it was enough to get me through. And that's, that's the only reason I survived was because I wrote that book and I remembered some of the, of the lessons that I discovered while writing it. Yeah. That's a common story too. You know, when we're in enough pain and suffering on some level, then we're willing to do something different because we don't want to feel like that anymore. And so we work and we work and we read and we write and we work with counselors and coaches and mentors and then things start getting better and then we start sliding back and then we stop doing the things that got us to be happy and healthy and successful and whatever. Well, that's the difference between coping and healing. What I I was doing at the time, although I didn't know it, is that I was coping. And coping is nothing more than 
a necessary distraction, but coping does make room for healing. It does, you know, it can, and coping could be medication, um, riding a motorcycle, all kinds of different things, but healing means that you don't have to cope. Coping is not healing. Wow. Coping makes room for healing, but healing means that you don't have to cope because there's nothing to cope through, you know, um, people mix that up all the time. They say this cannabis is for my healing. No, does not heal you. I use cannabis, uh, at, at, at night. It helps with the nightmares. It does not fix the nightmares. It helps me cope with the nightmares. Only healing can get rid of those. And we, so many people, myself included at different times, have put all the eggs into the coping basket, not realizing that there's a healing basket that is the only way out of this hole. Because as soon as you stop coping, you're back in the soup. So you have to find a way to heal. You have to. Or it's uh, you'll be coping for the rest of your life. Yeah, and it comes from doing the work. We talked about that earlier. Like, you have to do the work. And you have to have the right habits. You got to have the health, you got to replace the bad habits with the healthy habits. Exactly. Yeah, and that's important. And, you know, a lot of these habits, they go back deep. And so it's like we have to go back in and dig those behaviors and beliefs about myself that help me form these habits and go back in that subconscious mind and do those and it requires work and usually on a daily basis for an extended period of time and doing things that I don't necessarily want to do all the time to get those things to make those changes in my life because we just talked about it it's like once I get comfortable and I don't feel so depressed angry fearful insecure blah 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 then I'm like okay I'm good now I can start drinking again or now Mm. I can do whatever. And then I start acting out and I just, uh, I'm not my best person. Now. So I had yeah, my, um, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't, uh, share being the nature of your podcast. My last drink was April 16th of this year, last one. And it was actually magic mushrooms that helped me quit drinking. Um, they helped connect me to my subconscious. Uh, and, have me see the drinking from a spiritual perspective. And once I saw that and the full impact of it and what it actually was, as opposed to what I thought it was, um, it was pretty easy. Well, it was easier to make the decision. Actually carrying out the decision the first two months was a son of a bitch, um, which is all the more reason <laughs> that I needed to quit. Uh, cause it was, it was creeping up on me. I was having one beer with every dinner. Then it was two, then it was two beers at dinner. Uh, and then two or three watching Netflix after. And that went on every day for a few weeks before I realized, oh my God, I wonder if I can stop. I tried stopping for a day and I couldn't. I went, oh my God, <laughs> it snuck up on me. And, um, it was the mushrooms that helped me see, and I'll, I'll share with you what I saw. And if it's helpful to anybody perspective wise, then great. Um, so from a spiritual perspective, uh, what 
the mushrooms help me see or help me connect with my subconscious or however it works. I don't know. But what they told me, because <laughs> they do talk, is that um, everything is frequency and vibration, which you've read in a million different, you know, the secret, all that stuff, right? But um, everything is frequency and vibration. And when you drink, it lowers your vibration. When you lower your vibration, it works like a magnet for other low vibration things to come into your life. Um, some people will call them demons. Why not? You know, uh, regardless of your belief system, that framework works uh, as far as explaining it. So if you lower your personal vibration uh, through the drinking, that's why, oh, my inhibitions are lowered. Mm-hmm. To do what? Things that you shouldn't. Because it's your lower vibration. So you're now more susceptible to low vibration activities. Um, you, you start participating in it and waiting in it all the time, whether that is going to the bar and being promiscuous or doing drugs or um, some people, they, they turn into instant asshole, just add alcohol, you know, and some people are happy drunks. You know, uh, but even the happy drunks, well, their family isn't so happy that you're stumbling around. And that was the inescapable truth to me that it it it, it lowers you into an almost demonic realm. Uh, and maybe that's why I'm not a religious guy and it sounds like I am, but I'm actually not. Um, but I am a spiritual guy. And, um, but maybe that's why so many religions are like, yeah, drinking's not a good idea. That's that was a big part of it. The second part is I realized, well, those two beers I'd have for dinner, it was often my kids that were running upstairs to the beer fridge to get them for me. Went, Wait a second. It's nice to have an automatic beer fetcher, but uh, this isn't good. So I also wanted to show my kids that there's a choice. So they saw me when I was drinking. I was never drunk in front of them anyway. Um, uh, I, I had that much of a lid on it. I'd get happy once in a while, but I, I was never stumbling drunk. Uh, I had at least that much control. I was lucky. Um, but now my kids see dad drinking soda water and lime instead of the beer. I've replaced it or the non-alcoholic beer that I have a fridge full of. And it was a permanent decision. It's not a, let's see if I can do this for two months. I've done that before. I think my longest stretch was two years. This was a permanent decision because there's just nothing good that comes of it. The only thing I'm missing is whiskey. I like scotch. It's good stuff. So I do miss that because there's no non-alcoholic replacement for, uh, for some ice rattling around your glass uh, having a scotch. Mm, I do enjoy that. So I guess I have to miss out on that, but I'll survive. But uh, April 16th was my last drink. And because of it, my, my wife isn't a big drinker, but she's drinking less now because she's more mindful of it. And I'm setting an example for my kids. So that's my haven't had a drink since April 16th and never will again story. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. We all have our own road that mm. gets us to that point. And um, I appreciate you sharing that. And people need to hear that too because you know, they'll look and they'll watch this and they'll see a couple of, you know, clear headed, somewhat clear headed, uh, normal type people 
guys talking to each other and they're like, oh, well, you know, they weren't as bad off as I was. And I can tell you I was as bad off as anybody out there. But, um, you know, they think, oh, that can't, I can't ever get there. But you can't, you know, and that's why we're doing this is to, so other people that are struggling know that there's a way out. So whether it's reach out to you, reach out to me, reach out to somebody to get some help because nobody knows that you're sitting out there depressed right now. As Dr. Rob Kelly would say, I, um, I, I would suggest to people that focus on the causation. Why do you need that drink? There's a reason. There always is. Always. Yeah. You have to work on You have to work on your trauma timeline. You know, what happened to you as a kid? How were you treated? How do you feel about yourself? You have to start there. The, yeah. the, the drinking is the symptom, not the cause. It's like um, infidelity. That is the symptom, not the cause. If you have a shit marriage, infidelity will often be the, the case. If you have a fantastic marriage, it's not too often in, you're going to see infidelity. And if you do, well, there's a problem that you haven't dealt with that's causing that you have to, you can't focus on the symptoms. You have to focus on the cause or you'll get nowhere. It'd be spinning your wheels. Yeah. Yeah. And we say that all the time. It's like the drinking, the drugs, the chocolate, the porn, the shopping, the spending money. I don't have, those aren't necessarily the problem. It's what I'm using to cope since you brought up coping before. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm using to cope with the real problem. Which and, is and the coping starts, the coping st- causes more problems. and It's a cascading compounding effect. My coping is causing my problems. Uh-oh. And it just, it spirals and it snowballs because you have to get to the root of it yeah. so that there's no snowball. You have to get to the root of it. Otherwise, it's going to continue to haunt you for the rest of your life. And that's why a lot of people, they don't last in sobriety because they're like, well, I stopped drinking. How come I don't have the million dollars in the house and the wife and the car? Because it requires work. You have to get to the root <laughs> of the problem, dig that out, make the rever- to make changes to reverse your thinking and your beliefs about yourself and those other behaviors that, you know, there's cross addictions. Like I can remove the beer, but now I'm eating a pound of cookies every day. So there's a, it's an escape from feeling and especially for PTSD too. I mean, so many different, different paths that people take to not have to feel that pain as well. I'm sure you've seen it all or seen a lot, right? Yeah. Got a lot of dead friends that didn't make it. That's for sure. It occurs to me that although today's society that we often bemoan, there's a lot of upsides to today's society. People tend to be more empathetic in some ways and, and more open-minded, but there's a very strong downside to today's society. We're the quick fix, a pill for everything society. People yes, don't the want microwave. the microwave society. We don't want to take personal responsibility. We just want it fixed. We don't want to earn it. We want it to be handed to us, this entitled society. Well, you can have to put on your big boy pants if you want to beat addiction. If you want to beat PTSD, you got to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants because it ain't going to get handed to you. That's not how it works. You have to take responsibility for your own addiction, for your own trauma, even though you didn't ask for it. But it is your responsibility 
to deal with it and to fix it. You didn't, it's not your fault that you're an alcoholic. It's not your fault that you were traumatized. It is your responsibility to do something about it and to not be an asshole and not to do damage to yourself and to others. And people don't like the responsibility, but there's no way around it. Then fine, <laughs> fucking suffer then. You know, that's what you're going to get. You're going to suffer. You know, yeah. if you it's take responsibility or suffer. That's it. What's uh, the saying, the, the definition of discipline? De- discipline is the difference between what you want the most and what you want right now. Mm-hmm. The difference between what you want the most and what you want right now. And if healing is not what you want most, you're not going to get it. Yeah. You, discipline is the path to freedom. Dis- discipline is the path to recovery. Oh God, that's going to be a good podcast t- uh, title. I just realized that. But, <laughs> but people hear discipline and they hear, ooh, responsibility and work. Uh-huh. That, that, that's what it is. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> discipline is. is responsibility at work. If you don't do it, you won't heal. Sorry. That's how it is. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you being here. So if people want to get in touch with Mark Meinke, how do they do that? The best way is in the Googleizer to uh, Google Operation Tango Romeo. It's also on Facebook. There's a Facebook page for Operation Tango Romeo. The website is under construction. Should be up in a couple of weeks. That'll be um, operationtraumarecovery.org. Operationtraumarecovery.org will be the website. But uh, if you either put in my name, Mark Meinke, M-E-I-N-C-K-E, everybody likes losing the C, M-A-R-K-M-E-I-N-C-K-E, um, I'm the easiest guy to find if you stick it in, in, in the Google, but through Facebook and, um, and any podcast platform that you like, I'm on a good chunk of them. So, uh, you put in the Google operation, Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast and pick the platform that you like, and I'll be there. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mark. I appreciate you stopping in on the funky brain podcast. Well, my brain is feeling funky. I appreciate that. (laughs) <laughs> you have any closing arguments? No, sir. Just thank you so much for having me on. And I know you're going to be a guest on uh, my show next week sometime. And I am looking forward to, to that, to picking your funky brain. Oh, me too. It's a lot, it's just pretty funky up here. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have a great time. Thanks again, man. And thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to the Funky Brain Podcast. Have a great day today. I'm sending you all love and good vibes. And I'll talk to you soon. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible, with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Thank you.